This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn. I hope you're ready to expand your mind because Nick and I are here to talk about the mental game. We have an expert joining us later today, Nick. What a conversation we had. We had this conversation earlier, and um, all I can say is we should charge money for this episode, but we won't because there's such valuable information later on in this interview. You don't want to release this episode to the public. You texted me after the interview like, maybe we should withhold this until after the Corner Club Open. Maybe we shouldn't release it at all. Maybe we should just send John our credit card information and leave it at that. That was a consideration because I was like, great, we have inf- we have access to this all the secrets. And then I was like, well, if we put it out there, then everyone's going to have the secrets and it's going to just be a level playing field again. So, um, yeah, but I, I guess you talked me into actually publishing this. So who we're talking to is John Stabler from Golf Psych. He gets into the origin of how this all started. This is a business he runs with his wife. She actually started it and he married into it. We'll get to all of that a little bit later. It's a very interesting conversation. I can't recommend it enough. But first, you know what I'm going to say. Rate and review at the turn. We have the promotion still going that if you leave the winner of the 2023 U.S. Women's Open coming up this July in Pebble Beach, if you're the first to identify the winner, you win a box of Piper golf balls. Congrats to Ziggy. I don't know if you saw Nick. Ziggy reached out on Instagram. We're hooking Ziggy up with the sampler pack. He said that Tiger was going to make three cuts this year. He left the return, the, the review in Apple Podcasts, got a hold of us on Instagram. He did what he had to. He wants the sampler pack from Piper Golf. Again, use promo code TURN10 at checkout at piper.golf to get your hands on these incredible golf balls. Smart man. It's always good to put the product to the test and see what actually works best for your game. And Ziggy will have the chance to do that with the sampler pack. So I'm going to skip the mad golfer of the week because golfers are not mad this week. We're going to be calm. We're going to be serene. We're getting into the right mindset. We're going to be aggressive. We're not going to be passive, but it is time for Nick rules brought to you by matchstick golf. Use promo code turn 20 at checkout. Okay, Joe. Um, this is a mental mistake that, Many golfers, or I don't know if many of them, I have made it twice in at oh. my last two home courses. Um, okay. And it's not reading the local rules on the scorecard. Mm. And it's easy to do. It's a mental mistake. So it goes along with what we're talking about today. But just read the local rules. There's information on there that will help you navigate the course and can actually lower your scores. Prime example. Country View Golf Course, we've talked about how much out-of-bounds. There's out-of-bounds on all nine holes in the back nine, on about five on the front nine. In addition to that out-of-bounds that I've been finding all of it, um, there is a meandering creek that, that that goes through the back nine. It bisects mm. two holes where there's like a forced carry that's like just over 200, so you kind of have to decide off the tee. Um, it runs up the side on the other side of the OB on a couple holes. So like if I if I'm aiming right to avoid the OB, I'll hit into this creek. It's a one-stroke penalty instead of two. I'm like, that's great. I was playing last week, and I hit my shot into this creek on the 17th hole, and uh, I go back there. I'm It's it's all dried up, so I actually have a chance to play out of it. So I'm, I'm like, 
up against the lift. I'm taking some practice swings. And the guy's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I, I found my ball. It's in here. I think I can play it. He's like, it's a free drop out of the uh, drainage ditches. Oh, my God. And I'm like, are you serious? What? He's like, yeah. So I, I take a drop. I hit it three feet, get it up and down. And I, I look at the scorecard because I'm like, this sounds bogus, but I'm already on my way to like a 103. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and I look at the scorecard. Sure as shit. Free drop out of all drainage dishes. Now, when it's the wet season, they just look like creeks because there's water running through them. And that's when I started playing this course. And you know, I didn't really look for markings because there's basically a, a creek running through the course. Like, you know, that's water. That's water. Um, but sure enough, it is a free drop. I, I immediately thought of at least five other instances. I've cost myself a one stroke penalty to drop out of those um, and continue on. So that that is huge. Um, could have saved myself basically a stroke around every time I play there. On the other hand of that, Hemlock Ridge, the the, the infamous uh, Hemlock Ridge. Yeah. I was playing a like a red, white, and blue tournament on like 4th of July where it was basically like you alternate between the red, white, and blue tees. And I, on this random, like the, the fourth hole, if you blow it away right, which I happen to do, uh, there's like a rock wall and like a line of like 100 foot tall trees. And then there's the third fairway. And so I hit my shot over there. I'm trekking over there. And uh, the guy's like yelling at me. And I was like, no, it's it's good. I'm, I'm right here. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, but you can't play it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I can't play it. I, I'm standing right here. My ball is here. I just hit it over this rock wall under these trees. And I'm I'm back in play. <laughs> and it turns out. On this nine-hole course, there are two instances of unmarked internal out-of-bounds. And for some reason, even though there's no advantage to having to hit over 100-foot-tall trees twice, that is internal out-of-bounds. So whether it helps you or hurts you, you need to read the local rules on the scorecard. The one that comes to mind for me is when I played the plantation course out at Kapalua, with my buddy, that's the site of the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii at the start of the year. You are you are surrounded by thick, lush Hawaiian foliage that there's no way you're going to find your ball in if you hit it left or right. It's unmarked. So I interpreted that as a lost ball out of bounds. We get to like the sixth or seventh hole after I've lost two or three in that stuff. Everything is a hazard. There's no out of bounds on that golf course. So you could walk up take a drop, hit your third rather than stand on the tee and try to mercifully find the fairway right. and try to make a double bogey and get the hell out of there. So I probably lost four strokes, maybe two or three, just doing that, not reading the scorecard. It's all hazard. There's no OB. Yeah. It's, I wish all of golf was like that, but the, but the bottom line is there's, there's intricacies like this everywhere and there, you can't just take the course at face value um, there's always things that they point out that are very specific to that course that you wouldn't assume otherwise. And a lot of times, probably more often than not, it will help you more often than, than it will hurt you. What's definitely going to help you is this interview that we have coming up. John Stabler from Golf Psych. They've been doing it for over 30 years. They've worked with major champions. They've worked with amateurs, high handicappers, advice for the elite and the bottom of the barrel. They know what to do for everybody. I can't recommend this enough. We're going to get to that 
after a short break. We started the business in 1989. Wow. That, that was the year that uh, Dr. Deborah Graham and I got married. Is it a creative relationship then? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, she had actually started things before that. She, um, to earn her doctorate in psychology, she did a study of the LPGA Tour players' personalities to earn her doctorate. In those days, there was no sports psychology it didn't exist. There were no degrees. You had to go into psychology and push it to sport. And she chose to do that. Um, her doctoral dissertation committee said, you know, pick another group. You'll never get the ladies to participate. Um, but Deborah's stubborn and she had some, some luck. She hooked up with Carol Mann, who's an LPGA Hall of Famer. And Carol said, hey, Nobody pays attention to the LPGA. Uh, this would be good for us. And she got the other ladies to participate. And Deborah got that study done and discovered there were eight personality traits where the frequent winners on the LPGA were different, clearly statistically different from the other tour players. Wow. Yeah, that was a wow. Um, we got together in 88, got married in 89, decided to pursue golf, focus on it. She had a regular practice. I was in another career and I was doing well. I could support us while we made the effort. And immediately we said, first thing we got to do is studies of the men. So we got permission from the Dean Beeman, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, to do studies on the regular tour and the senior tour. Got those done and found the same eight traits were true for the men as she had found for the ladies, which makes some sense that everybody's playing stroke play golf. And these are the best players in the world. And some win, some of them win a lot and others never. And uh, so that's how we started. That's That was the beginning. And those studies on the regular tour, uh, the deal was an hour of your time to take the assessment. And when the study's done, an hour of Deborah's time to explain what they mean. And that created a practice on tour. And for the next uh, over 20 years, Deborah was out there full time. I was out there a lot, uh, but I didn't go full time golf psych until uh, 1992 when it was going good enough to support us. And so you've transitioned at this point, John, from working with professionals to trying to transfer that to the amateurs like Nick and myself, or is it a hybrid of both still? Um, to date, we've worked with over 400 of the tour players. Okay. That's a big number. Um, had great success at the tour level. Uh, 21 of those clients have won 31 majors so far. We retired from traveling on tour. And once we retired, we, we were home more. We got to work with more golfers, mostly what I consider uh, real competitors, 
you know, junior golfers that are on their high school teams playing AJGA, college golfers, again, on their college teams, and then aspiring pros, those college golfers that want to become professionals and or get on the PGA Tour, and then the tour players. So that's the, our primary uh, clientele. But we also have a bunch of amateurs. And you can attend our schools. You can uh, purchase our personality assessment and get your own comparison to the frequent winners on tour. Um, we, we don't limit. We don't say if your handicap's over a certain number, you can't, you can't work with us. We don't do that. And in my experience, the uh, biggest gains in terms of handicap can be made with the higher handicappers. Well, that's what we like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of opportunity because most amateurs have no clue. Let me, let me back up. Most golfers, professional or amateur, have no clue what a good mental game is. They really don't. Well, what is it, John? What is let's 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 start here. What is the most fixable mental mistake that not even amateurs, but any golfer makes most often? Let's let's help people right out of the gate here. Okay. <clears throat> Golf is the hardest game mentally. No question. And I'll argue that with anybody. <clears throat> the two things that make it really hard, the ball just sits there. And every time you touch the ball, it counts. All right? So immediately what happens to a human trying to play golf is they get careful and deliberate. They try not to make a mistake. They immediately try to make a perfect swing. They try to remember their swing keys and make sure they do everything, all right? So that sets you up for failure because immediately you become what we call left-brained in control. Left brain, right brain. Left brain's good at logic and analyzing. Left brain likes to control when it's important. Left brain is judging and critiquing looking ahead, but left brain is a clutch, not athletic. As soon as you get careful and deliberate, you are hurting your athletic ability. But that's what the golf industry does to us. They tell us over and over and over, set up like this, posture, grip, alignment, Takeaways like so, position at the top like so, start it down like so. And that's where they leave us. So what are you going to do? You want to play golf? You want to play good? On the range, you practice that over and over and over. You're not practicing golf. You're practicing golf swing. Okay? And it doesn't work. Because you just got more left brain, and when it gets important, that that is you're playing for score, you focus on those things. And they hurt your ability to be consistent and hit the ball well. It, it's really, it's a setup. It's just, we're all going to struggle if we approach the game that way. 
All right, so the purpose of your repetitive practice is to build your swing program. Once you've built your program, let it run, let it play. Stop focusing on your setup and your takeaway and your swing while you're doing it. Keep your focus on the ball and hitting the ball to the target. How you want to bring the club face through the ball, what kind of spin you want to put on it, hit it high, hit it low. Okay, here's the model. You have actually done this well. I'll bet a lot of money when you're playing one of those shots out of the trees. Yes. Your ball gets into the trees once in a while, and you have to go in there, and it's not a regular lie, and you can't just hit it up in the air because there's stuff up there. So your thoughts are on, how do I make this ball go through that hole, below that limb, get it to carry over that hump out there, and run some amount, right? So, so true. Now you're thinking about how you're going to move the club through the ball. No longer focused on your takeaway. You're no longer focused on your alignment so much. You're, you're focused on playing golf. You're creating a shot. And then if you please swing freely and fully, it'll work. So what we need to do is is harness that ability to pretend we're in the woods, pretend we're trying, we have to hit certain parameters with, you know, like you said, over that hump, under that limb, carry that far, um, and, and harness that athleticism, that reaction, as opposed to the left brain trying to analyze and dictate and control. Set up the machine. You are not a machine. You're better than that. If I had you in person, I would take you on the range and we'd let you set up. And then as you took the club away, I'd call the shot. Like fade, okay. draw, high, low. Even that hard. High left, high right, low left, low right. Simple. But you don't. Not until the club, not until the club is moving. Not till the club is moving. Okay. Do it with each other. Mm -hmm. it, it's fun. You'll have I'm fun. sure it is. Yeah. It will make you athletic. Because you can't move your feet. You can't change the machine. You don't have time. Yet in your mind, you picture, okay, I'm going up there. And now you try to make it go up there. And you'll find your athletic ability. You make such an interesting point, John, about being in the trees and how you're not thinking about your swing, you're thinking about taking this ball and putting it to a target. And I remember the few times where I've been in situations where I've had really good rounds, I've not been thinking about how I want my setup to be, my stance to be. My thought on the tee was, I'm making a birdie in this hole. How do I make a birdie? And thinking of a really aggressive mindset and setting myself up for success because you're right. I think a lot of the issues that I've had this season, and I've had a, a bad season for me, my handicap's gone up like three shots. 
I'm playing with a lot of fear. I'm playing not to make mistakes instead of playing with an aggressive mindset. Bingo. Bingo. There's this this fallacy, and some people are more susceptible than others. If you swing perfectly, you're going to have good impact. The ball's going to go where you want it to go. But golf is really hard. It's so hard to put the club on the ball perfectly. A half a degree open or closed on the second groove from the bottom instead of the third. It affects what the ball's going to do. There's something under the ball you can't see. You don't know it's there. There's a little rock. And And when you drive the club through the ball, that little rock affects it. Or the ball gets up in the air. And the wind changes. Nothing you can control. But by being careful and deliberate and trying not to make a mistake, trying to protect your score. Always. Blowing it. You don't know it, but you're blowing it. So you got to approach this game on a best efforts basis. You got to... Make your decisions and pick choices that you like, that you trust, and see if your gut likes this choice. That's very important. Don't just do logic. Listen to your gut because we need you to be truly committed to your choices. That means they're clear and you trust them all the way through impact. If you second guess, if you change the target over the ball, full shots are putting. If you have a lot of anxiety while you're swinging, you're not fully committed. And that, that our definition of commitment is incredibly powerful and valuable. Your choices are clear and you like them, trust them all the way through impact. You end up swinging freely athletically just try to accomplish that and you'll you'll see benefit found by how often you achieve that not by your score speaking of definitions i when i think of golf's mental game i think of like a situational definition and like the situation is i have a 25 yard pitch shot and i i know the the lie and how far I want to carry it. And I have my club and I'm trying to hit it perfect. Like you said, I'm trying to control everything and and hit it perfectly. And I lay this out over it and and hit a terrible shot and then drop another ball without even thinking, hit it to two feet out of frustration. And it's like, it's so easy when you don't have that, that pressure on, is that, is that kind of part of the definition of the mental game? Is that, are we onto something there? On that second shot, you had, experience from the first shot you were much more free you were not so careful and deliberate so you just showed that you do have the shot it was the approach on the first one that screwed it up so why is it so hard because i i know this so why is it so hard to take the approach in the second shot and apply it to the first shot? I think it's because what you said, like every time you touch the ball, it counts. So you're you're very careful, um, which is is obvious, but I never thought of it in that context before. But why can't we just 
take the carefree and let our skills, you know, perform. Because you don't have a process to get you there. They have you in position, ready to go. You remember um, for a long time, Sergio Garcia used to and regrip and regrip and regrip over the ball. Sergio did not have an effective process. He was not ready to hit the ball once he was set up. He still had to get himself mentally settled enough to go. <coughs> All right. So let me help you with that. Some of your practice needs to be repetitive machine type practice to develop your program and improve your mechanics. Okay, that's fine. But from now on, at least half of your practice needs to be play style practice. Meaning, when we're playing golf, we got to hit it the first time. We don't get to perfect it. We don't get to drop a second ball unless we hit it OB or lose it, right? We got we to hit it the first time. You need to practice that, hitting it the first time. All right. So when you're doing play style practice, you're going through your whole process, getting ready to play the shot with a very specific target that you're trying to accomplish. It matters. Make the outcome matter. And even keep score. Okay. That will put you in the mindset you have on the golf course. Okay? If you miss a shot, you don't get to play it over. Not golf. Right? Okay. Now, <clears throat> we need to go through the process that I, I like to call the athletic shot process. It's not the pre-shot routine. It's not the mental pre-shot routine. Everybody has a picture of what that is. I want to wipe that. I want to start over athletic shot process. I'm going to give you the basics. We don't have time to go through each of you individually, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you good uh, principles. All We're right. putty in your hands, John. So the first step for everybody is calculations, right? Left brain, calculations, make your decisions, check your gut. You're now fully committed. You pull the club. Okay. Here we change. We switch from thinker, left brain, to player, right brain. From here on, it's all player. So the player is imagining what the shot's going to look like. The player is feeling what the shot's going to feel like and extending that to actually, here comes Caddyshack, becoming the ball. Feeling what that ball's experiencing as it's leaving the club face, flying through the air with energy, landing, whatever it's supposed to do. Those are the two things you got to do. Imagine what it's going to look like. Imagine what it's going to feel like, as real as you can make it, over and over and over until the ball's gone. Right? So here's a classic process. Pull a club, stand behind the ball, imagine what the shot's going to look like, 
what it's going to do, how it's going to curve, how high it's going to go. Going towards and past those targets in the background. Okay. We're looking for movement. Just like this is a beautiful thing we've got today. The shot tracker on telecast. Hmm. That is what we're looking for. That movement, that shape. You don't have to see the ball perfect. See the ball flying in real time. If you hit a wedge from impact until the ball lands, how long does that take last? Roughly. Go ahead. Imagine it. Three, four seconds. Four or five seconds. Yes. I really want that imagining to last that long because if you're really working at it, you're engaging your right brain in imagining. Nicholas used to say, watch the video. He wouldn't go forward until he could see the video in real time, not just zip, not just a snapshot, as much as you can imagine. Okay. Then move up to the ball, sit up beside it and take a practice swing, pretending to hit the ball, imagining how it's going to feel moving through the ball impact and the ball taken off with whatever action you want on it. However high, however low, punch it, high, soft, you know, all the way to landing, kicking forward, sucking back, whatever it's supposed to do, whatever you'd like it to do, right? So the practice swing is not just to loosen up. The waggles are not just to loosen up. You are feeling impact and the ball take off you're becoming the ball one two i don't care no practice swings i don't care but you need to feel it okay so now you move in over the ball it's like stepping up to the shot you've been thinking about imagining you step up to it you look out you see the ball go again you feel it with your waggle you feel your impact don't just feel the club feel impact as your head comes back to the ball Club goes back, but your attention stays on the ball to the target, and you go. I think what you're describing, the listener, because and this thought popped in my head, it sounds like, frankly, a pretty slow process. But I think it's just the way you're describing it versus what it is in practicality. Because you're talking about standing behind the ball, visualizing the shot, getting up to the ball, and hitting. Yep. Stepping up to the ball, settling in. We're not going through all that careful stuff about right. checking alignment and checking Elbow. the That takes time. You guys have seen forever routines where this poor person is just so careful getting everything set up and now they're over it and they're just they they take two looks and then they go at some point. You know, but they often come to a full stop. Mm-hmm. We want movement. We want flow. We This thing moves along. It's not fast. It's never rushed. Rushing is always bad. But it moves along. It has an internal rhythm. And you're ready to go when you're gone. No stopping. 
So something that Nick and I have coming up, and we talk about it a lot on this podcast, it's our annual tournament, the Corner Club Open. Lots of listeners have their member guests or a club championship. It's on the horizon. These these big events are coming now that we're in May. What advice do you have in terms of casual rounds and implementing this? Because even the pressure from a casual round is a lot different than it is when you get into a competition, whatever that is for any particular person. So you and your wife have worked with a lot of pros and they took home a lot of major championships. So how did you get a pro to being someone who makes cuts into someone who makes major champions? John, make us a major champion. That's all I'm asking of you right now. Okay. That should only take about 10 minutes. (laughs) I'll give you a cliche. Great. Pressure is self-induced. Does the ball know whether it's a practice round or a competitive round? Does the golf course know? Does Mother Nature care? No, that's all. It's We create that. Depending on your personality and your experience, the pressure is greater or less. Okay? Some people, it's definitely more challenging because of their personality, where they score. We see that when we do the profiles, and so we can, we can address those things directly. <clears throat> we never tell anybody that they're going to go into this competitive round totally relaxed, super calm, because it's not going to happen, okay? But if you go in, Worried about what you're going to shoot and what other people are going to think about it. Worried about the fact your score is going to be published. Concerned about that. Remembering how you screwed it up last time. <laughs> First you were. Okay. Those all fall into the what we call the not allowed, not helpful thoughts category. Right. They set you up for failure. Okay, they really do. You're in essence, when you're thinking about that, you're programming failure. That's that's so interesting because you're basically describing our our mindset. We made a bogey to finish out of the money like three years ago, and we're still talking about that today. And every time you do, you anchor that memory, you make it stronger. Strong emotions anchor memories stronger, right? We don't want that. We want to anchor the good memories, we want to recall the good shots and replay those. That's that's just all the time. That's good. That's what you want. All right. Now, to have a chance, you have to develop that athletic shot process that we just talked about. And then you set mental goals for the round based on your process. Your process is the only thing you can control. You cannot control the outcome of your shots. You cannot control what other people do or say or what they think. Let go of that. You can't control your score. You really can't. And and by the way, you don't have a score until the last putt drops, right? You don't. That's a good way of looking at it. Whoa. (laughs) Just because you're three under right oh now doesn't gosh. mean you're going to finish three under. 
Most people don't. They back up because they start trying to protect. Anyway, I'm digressing. No, no. That's such a good point. It is. You focus on your process. You set mental goals. Number one mental goal, we'll say. What percent of all my shots and putts today can I get fully committed? And set a number. Uh, If I could do 50% today, achieving that full commitment, swinging freely, I'll consider that a success. And when you're playing, your goal is to accomplish that. And I want you to track it while you're playing. After every shot, make a note. Pin sheet, scorecard, wherever. Give yourself a check when you did the good commitment. Give yourself an X when you did. Now you have a score that matters that you can do something about and focus on that. Let go of your outcomes. And you may surprise yourself how good you end up. Now, that sounds so simple, right? It's not. Because we have all these thoughts about what it means and who's watching and what we want to do. And we get upset with ourselves because we miss a shot. Wait a minute. Did you really try to hit a good shot? Did you do a good athletic shot process to hit a good shot? If you did, that's all you can do. Your outcome is whatever it's going to be. Sometimes it's good. It will be better more often with that approach. All right? So think about this logically now. When you're fully committed and you've done a good process and you're swinging free, you're most likely to get a playable shot. Might be a little short, might be a little long, a little left, a little right, but it's probably going to be playable. When you're uncommitted, you just opened up the universe of possible outcomes. This ball can now go anywhere, literally, or even miss it, right? Because you're not fully committed. So you want to be careful. You want to try not to make a mistake. You want to be really obsessed about your routine and end up inconsistent and uncommitted. Okay, it's a choice. It's what most people do. Or are you going to go into this thing focused on your process, managing yourself and your thoughts, letting go of your outcomes, good or bad, let go of them, And between shots, take your thoughts off of the round. Anything else that's enjoyable and calming. So you you can talk to your playing partners. You can visit. But when it's time for the shot, we're all business. Athletic shot process. Let the athlete play. Swing free. And you may be surprised how well you do that day. I can't wait to try this out. The, the practice in the encore stuff that you've just gone over, I'm I'm gonna do it all in the next 24 hours. You gotta do, you gotta do play style practice because it enables you to take it to the course. 
if all you do is repetitive swing practice, you have no way to switch, no experience switching to play, to being a player, to playing golf. John, you've been incredibly generous with your time. We're going to get you out of here with this. It is Turn 10, brought to you by Piper Golf. 10 rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, Jack or Arnold? Jack. Number two, hole-in-one or lowest round ever? Lowest round ever. Number three, your favorite book about golf psychology? The Eight Traits of Champion Golfers by Graham and Stabler. Number four, best part of your job? Helping people. Number five, worst part of your job? Repeating the same things over and over and over, and the hard heads can't let go. Number six, favorite club? Putter. Number seven, what a segue. Most important putt you've ever made? Win the club championship. That's a good one. Twice. Oh, oh, hey, okay. Number eight, fade or draw? I'm sorry? Fade or draw? Uh, Draw. Number nine, I probably know the answer to this, but are breakfast balls ever okay? Are what okay? Ever okay? Breakfast balls. You hit you hit the first shot out of bounds, you get a second shot, and you say, Yeah, the first one was a breakfast ball. Oh. Um no. They're not okay. <laughs> I, unless we're playing hit and giggle, you know, uh, they're not okay. Number ten, last one. How early should someone arrive to the course before their tea time? Early enough to be comfortable with their warm-up. But there's no hard and fast rule. And often you'll arrive without time. Don't panic. Don't rush. If you have five minutes, the best thing would be to just relax and breathe. Think about your mental goals for the day. And then be patient with yourself and ease into the round. John Stabler from Golf Psych. We really appreciate your time. This has been really informative. I can't wait to run to the golf course and stop playing golf swing and play golf. Please. And have fun with it. This makes the game so much more fun. Thank you so much. I am going to check out Eight Traits of a Champion Golfer. Uh, Eight Traits of Champion Golfers as soon as we get off of this. Um, thank you for all this insight. It's it, it's so helpful. And it's, it's when you can say the obvious things that people don't think about it really really resonates and i think our listeners and everybody will get a lot from this from listening to this podcast so thank you very much you're very welcome i'm lacey evans thanks for listening and we'll see you next time at the turn